At the end of 2018, a video appeared over and over in my newsfeed. It was a London-based stylist and cultural commentator called Ayeshat Akanbi who was talking straight to the camera in a video called The Problem with Wokeness. And it was really interesting because wokeness hadn't really been critically appraised before. Ayeshat argued that while wokeness as an idea was important, it was in danger of becoming silencing, and so we invited her to All About Women. And in this really fantastic conversation with Jan Fran, Ayeshat talks about how to transcend the superficial, how the nature of image is really gendered, but most importantly, I think, she argues for the radical power and potential of kindness. Oh, thank you. I hadn't even said anything yet. Uh, welcome, everybody, to today's session on the problem with wokeness. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jan Fran. I'm a journalist and TV presenter. Uh, I host a show called The Feed on SBS Viceland. But a very drunk woman in the line to the toilet at a music festival once more accurately described me as that lady that makes content about politics for the internet. <laughs> um, that's now on my business card. So. I don't have a business card, I'm a millennial. Uh, I think, though, that description is quite pertinent to what it is that we are talking about here today. Um, anyone who engages with any kind of social or political issues online will be aware of the term wokeness. According to Wiktionary, wokeness is the quality or state of being aware of social justice issues. But according to Urban Dictionary, uh, wokeness is a state of being constantly offended. It can be used in the following sentence. As a result of Amy's wokeness, nobody wants to be around her anymore. <laughs> so is wokeness an important recognition of oppression or is it becoming intolerant, unkind and restrictive? To try and answer that question, we have with us stylist and cultural critic Aisha Camby. Now, before I introduce Aisha, just a quick note on how today's session will run. Aisha will speak, she and I will do a Q&A, and then we will open up to audience questions. Um, just a heads up, the session will be recorded. There will be two microphones on either side of the stage. Uh, about five minutes out from the q and I'll let you know that it's happening, and anybody who wants to ask a question, head on over to the mics and make sure that you speak into them um, so that we can actually hear what you're saying. Please also do try to keep your questions as questions uh, rather than, say, as monologues. Um, <laughs> that would be very helpful. Uh, without further ado, I am so pleased to introduce our speaker today. I feel Aisha actually needs no introduction in this room um, because her video, The Problem with Wokeness, uh, went viral, and I think for very good reason. Aisha very genuinely tapped into a growing discomfort over the way in which we have conversations with others, particularly in that online space and on social media. Uh, she's got an incredibly unique voice and an incredibly unique perspective and also a keen interest in socio-political issues. She also is a fashion stylist. Uh, she's been in that line of work for a decade. She is a writer. She's an artist. She's based in London, and we are very lucky to have her here today. So please welcome Aisha Akambi. Thank you. Um, 
I can hardly believe I'm in Sydney. Wow. Um, so thank you for having me and for coming. Um, and for those of you who may not have seen the video, um, I would like to play that just so you can have some context about why I feel the way that I feel and, and why I'm here today. I think wokeness has robbed many a people of um, compassion and replaced it with moral superiority. Compassion and empathy is paramount to any social movement and to any form of progress. Once you have compassion and empathy, you can often see that you have a lot more in common with people than you do apart. And it's the system under which we live in that forcefully tries to group us on our differences. What is radical is kindness. What is radical is understanding. That's the one thing they don't want us to do is to understand each other. Arguing with each other isn't actually radical at all. It's very conformist, actually. I do think that wokeness does run the risk sometimes in reducing very complex issues. Wokeness tends to be quite reactionary instead of responsive. And so when you react, you go off of emotion and you go off of anger, resentment, humiliation and that doesn't necessarily leave much space for nuance and nuance is important in order to understand the interconnectedness of the issues. So, wokeness is a term that a lot of people don't really understand, but in my understanding of it, I would say wokeness is a slang term for social awareness. You can be woke about anything, race, gender, sexuality, veganism, climate change, every issue gaining mainstream prominence can consider you woke. Strangely, people tend to associate woke ideas with the left. The word may have gained mainstream popularity with progressive politics, but wokeness does exist on the right too. Try mentioning the words diversity or social justice or immigration, and the right can easily get just as triggered. Woke is simply the belief in anything that you think is correct and progressive. The rise of Twitter, Facebook statusing, and Instagram activists has given us all a public voice. In theory, this is fantastic, but in practice, it leads to complications. A place to express our frustrations, disillusion with the system, and anger is not only necessary, but it can be cathartic. Unfortunately, we haven't recognized the power in having a portable encyclopedia inside our pockets. Having a world of information at our fingertips is nothing short of a revolution, but it does create some anger. Anger, especially for women and non-white people, is stigmatized as violence, unfeminine and a threat instead of a normal response to abuse. Our collective anger has sparked international discourse and necessary movements such as the Me Too campaign and Black Lives Matter. However, discussing anything topical online can be hard at best and draining at worst. Being woke is fundamentally useful, but what we do with our newfound awareness can often be misguided in the long term. We turn on each other for not being up to date. We take ideas we deem negative to be indicators of someone's entire character. Civil rights activist and novelist James Baldwin once said, I love America more than any other country in this world, and it's exactly for this reason I insist on criticizing her perpetually. I share Baldwin's sentiment. Therefore, the ways in which we approach these topics also deserve critique. Taking a good look around, it's tempting to become pessimistic but I believe in the idea that working towards a balanced society is achievable. But we can only do this by practicing compassion instead of pointing fingers. There is a place for outrage, anger and resentment, but if we aim to tackle issues from the branches instead of the root, we find ourselves entangled. This makes it imperative to divorce our pain from our reasoning for the sake of clarity and unity. The unnecessary oppression in the world 
causes a visceral reaction to anybody with their eyes open. And I'm sure we're all in agreement that the current climate online is a verbal landmine. It can be explained only as irony that considering we're in the gender revolution, we still think in very binary terms. We've reduced complex issues to black and white, both literally and figuratively. You're either right or wrong, problematic or progressive, good or bad. Having productive ideas isn't enough to stop an online mob from cancelling you if you misuse a word or have a difference of opinion. You can spend a lifetime fighting injustice, but the moment the internet considers you not woke enough, it's a wrap. What happens here is we shut down conversation more than we encourage it. This doesn't leave space for perspective, and instead, it scares everyone into having the same ideas. This is dangerous, as any thinking that we hand over to others for the sake of appearing woke will leave our movements hollow and full of holes. I know how easy it is to be accused of erasing someone's experience. This made me hesitant about taking part in the video you guys just watched. I guess in the middle of social unrest, it's easy to watch someone talk about empathy, kindness and compassion and consider this to be idealistic and passive. I get it, because at one stage, I may have watched a video like mine and said the same thing. But with time, I eventually found a new way of being, a new way which allowed me to value, to value understanding more than blame. Becoming socially aware is like experiences the stages of grief after death. The first stage, denial, in learning that the world isn't what you thought. Next comes guilt, due to everything we once failed to know or didn't even care about. After time, this evolves into anger, giving way to defensiveness and furious hot takes. But we ought to remember that the most important conversations are not meant to be comfortable. Any movement or group that views questions and analysis as an attack is to silence and stifle understanding. It's been said many times that growth does not live in the comfort zone. Developing the skills, patience and momentary detachment from identity helps us tackle ideas we disagree with. This is part of the analytical process. In a world where suffering is written into the contract of existence, we cannot infantilize ourselves by framing our identities as beyond reform. We're yet to recognize the danger in deciding who has a voice due to their oppression. Suffering is not a gateway to moral superiority. If we can only speak on our lived experiences, fiction would cease to exist. Shooting ideas down because they are not from the right people doesn't make the ideas disappear. Instead, they operate with insidious undertones. In doing so, we push people into the arms of extremism. But here's a radical thought. If we can learn to understand how regressive ideas are formed, we have more chance in destroying them. To be radical is to be curious about what makes us uncomfortable. But like many, I wish to raise the voices of the marginalized. I do believe in the power of women-identified unity. I do believe that racism is not only breathtaking stupidity, but a deadly stain on society. I also believe that popular ideas of gender suppress the true nature of us all. And in moving forward, we must remember our humble beginnings. The last five to six years has seen a major change in how we describe the complexities of our identity. Before the internet became a socio-political hub, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who would not be described as problematic by today's standards. And this is how progress becomes a battle for superiority. Are we able to stop cancelling people who remind us of our former selves? If I'm being honest, I didn't predict the viral response of my video. It's brought me to the other side of the world. At first, I wanted to pay the video minimal attention. 
I really didn't expect. I didn't. Re I really didn't expect the influx of positive messages, and a lot of people told me that I spoke the words that they couldn't find and felt fearful to express what I shared. It was then I discovered the similarities between us and them, when people on both sides of the political spectrum resonated with the video. But as expected, the video also ruffled some feathers, which is fine, because one of the points of the video is that disagreement doesn't mean we have to dismiss each other. I used to be angry. Okay, it'd be fair to say that I'm still angry, <laughs> but I just have to log out sometimes so I can hear myself think. Anger is productive if it's an occasional visit instead of a permanent residency. I've been enraged by the following at different points: a, the destruction of the environment; b, prioritizing certain animal life forms over others; c, education; d, the capitalist idea of success; e, racism; f, men. <laughs> There was very little that didn't make my blood boil, but internalizing all these issues made me defensive and quick to attack everyone. I find a way to bring everything back to my own personal suffering. I struggle to really see beyond my own identity. After all, intersectionality is seeing the importance of other people suffering. Being active on social media can simplify and minimize issues for the sake of being retweetable. Seeing everyone abandon reason for retweets became too much. I decided enough was enough. Before any external change can happen, we need an inner change. Society isn't a faceless monster. It's everyone outside, and it's everyone in this room. To be socially aware is important, but it's crucial to be self-aware. Some call this rhetoric a spiritual revolution, but for the sake of not being too mystical, I'll call it a common recognition. This does not mean that people should fail to see color or deny our different experiences and treatment as we move through the world. When we talk about our feelings and not just our opinions, we see that we have a lot more similarities than we know. The desire for acceptance, dignity, power, fairness, financial stability, the yearning to be happy, and the insecurities that reveal themselves in the different, way, in the different ways plague us all. At this point, it becomes clear that progress has become less of a movement and more of a religion. Sins are problematic opinions for which there's often no redemption. Confession is the public apology, and the high priest is whoever has the most followers. Being empathetic, being empathetic is not the same as being passive. When we show empathy to ourselves, we allow ourselves to see other people more clearly. This means that we should work with those committed to our struggles, even if they have different ideas. Arriving at the same destination doesn't require the same mode of transport. It means that we should be more compelled to ask questions when we disagree instead of diminish. It means learning to sit with what is uncomfortable before responding. It's learning that discomfort does not need to be discredited but inspected instead. It's knowing that other people's personal stories don't threaten the validity of yours. Each time we label someone an enemy for a difference of opinion, we weaken our collective unity. We don't need to have the exact same ideas to share the same end goal. Miles Davis once said. If you understood everything I said, you'd be me. <laughs> From this, I learned that we can't always expect people who've never walked in our shoes to feel our bruises. We have to accept that we won't always be understood. And how do we expect to be understood by everyone else when we don't understand ourselves? We need to accept that we are all at different stages in the lane we call growth. We can rebel against the lies and caricatures of. What we've been sold by, about each other by becoming more interested than irritated, but we can't fight intolerance with intolerance. 
By doing so, we run the risk of becoming what we fight against. Online discussion has the tendency to encourage the idea that one truth exists. F. Scott Fitzgerald, I believe, F, sorry, F. Scott Fitzgerald believed that intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. <laughs> the idea of only one truth plays into identity essentialism and theism. We acknowledge varying truths by understanding that nobody has the monopoly on suffering. Accepting that we are all at different stages of awareness will make us more willing to ask questions, because there may be some complexities that even the holy grail of Google may not know. But at present, asking questions is frowned upon. It's considered emotional labor and a microaggression. But I say it's the willingness to ask questions and to seek which helps us cure ignorance. We need an intersection of perspectives, because not all trans people, for instance, have the same ideas on gender and sex. Not all black people have the same ideas on modes of liberation, and so on. It's useful to remember that asking questions is a basic human survival instinct. Not every question is an attack, and we can use discernment to judge this. It is by being allowed to ask questions that many of us even know what half of what we do today. To gain understanding, we should be prepared to answer questions whilst remaining inquisitive. But understanding is a two-way street. We should also be compassionate towards outrage, for it is a normal response upon learning the societies—I mean, the deception of society. The reaction is palpable. Language is created to articulate emotions that are repressed yet inescapable. People aren't simply making up words to be edgy; they are seeking new ways of expressing their authenticity. But in identifying the groups and institutes that have kept people subjugated, we have often forgot that we have been conditioned with the tools to do this ourselves. We don't get to live in a sick society without learning some of its illness. Oppression is not a virtue; it's a preventable reality. In our attempt to soothe our internal wounds, we've created a zero-tolerance policy for error. We've begun to look for moral purity instead of honesty. The fear of being called problematic only leaves room for trendy, for trendy perspectives, whilst negating all others as toxic. We'd rather be liked and thought of as progressive people rather than thinking people. But we don't have to argue to add to the pot of perspective. We can offer up new ideas without having to negate anybody else's. We can offer opposing views without using someone else as a springboard for ridicule, and we can manage all of this when we remember having the right or wrong opinion is no indication of character. That can only be decided by what you do, not what you say. Having progressive politics doesn't stop having progressive politics doesn't stop you from being the most abusive in your private life, and having traditional、um, politics doesn't stop you from being kind. But in it, and in its purity, wokeness is helpful. Media representation has become more diverse. Women's issues are prioritised. The topics which gain traction online bleed into the real world via films, music, and advertising. This is one of the biggest indicators of the power of online discussion and what we can achieve when we work together. This should remind us that we actually have more power than we give ourselves credit for. It's only once we build solidarity with those who share our values that we can work towards real change. As much as exploring our own uniqueness is helpful, getting to know others helps us understand ourselves and works towards the collective goals. Let's remember that anger is a starter and not the entire dish. Let's use anger as a catalyst for empathy. Let us become so angry we're forced to ask questions. Let us be angry enough to think critically and not just out of popularity. If not. We shall run the risk of uniting on what we are instead of who we are, and repeating the cycles that cause us the very same pain.
Identity is part of us, not the entirety of us. When we realize this, we will see that different experiences don't actually produce radically different people. The human condition is the desire to belong and to, show, and to be shown dignity. If we want progress, we could stop reacting and start responding. It's often, it's often what we dislike in others we turn a blind eye to in ourselves. Once we stop believing our opinions define us, we may recognize that we have more in common with people than we do apart. And this is how we begin again. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. I can't tell you how many points I severely agree with you, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, with you on. Um, I guess I just want to start by, I, I imagine a lot of you will have seen um, Aisha's video. Um, it went, it travelled pretty widely. Mm. Why do you think that it got the reaction that it got? Um, you know, I, again, I really didn't expect it, but when I think about it, and from everything that people have spoken to me about, I had so many emails, DMs and new followers, people who've been cancelled, all types of things. And I think really what's happened is, I think a lot of people felt like they weren't allowed to say anything like this. I think people feel like if they were to say, actually, nuance is important and maybe we should look for the grey areas because online everything is black and white. Mm. But I would say that most of, of life really lives in the grey area. And because we're not allowed to do that online, I think someone saying it, and I guess my identity perhaps makes it easier for me to say it. You know, I can imagine that same video coming from someone else, potentially, mm -hmm. um, could have a very different impact on people. A white man, perhaps? Well, I mean, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> um, you sort of touched on, on something that I, I think is pretty important there, and that's sort of the role of the medium in all of this. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about trying to have these nuanced and complicated conversations, mm -hmm. but we're having them through these mediums that don't allow for nuance and complexity. Mm -hmm. And they are, to a large degree, the only mediums that we have. Yeah. How is it that we can use these mediums to have nuanced conversations when they allow for none? Um, I can only maybe speak about, you know, the way that I approach these topics. You yeah. know, I'm quite active on Twitter, but whenever I see someone say something that I think is absolutely stupid, um, I don't, I'm not one who rushes to quote tweet because I kind of see like, you know, quoting someone else's tweet with like abuse or an insult. I mean, if I was walking in the street and I heard people saying things that I didn't agree with, I wouldn't just intercept. So I don't see why I should do that online. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, so, don't, you don't stop people at the bus stop. Yeah, no, no. I think that's quite entitled, actually. Um, and I think, you know, being behind, you know, a computer can, can give people an extra type of confidence. But so what I do is I might see the stupid opinion and I'll use that to make a thought of my own, completely independent of that person. I'll just use it to inspire my own thoughts and, and things like that. So mm. I think if we're not as in a hurry to to kind of like show everybody like how stupid we think someone is. Because mm. um, that then makes people want to do that to us. Um, so that's the way I do it. And I also have my DMs open and I always say to people on Twitter, I'm pretty open to responding to anything um, if you're respectful, if you're kind. And I think the people who DM me and want to have conversations are people who don't feel like they have something to prove, but something to share. Yeah, and I think we were talking about this mm. earlier backstage as well. I, um, about a year and a half ago, very actively decided not to use Twitter okay. all that much anymore. Mm. And, like, Twitter is catnip for a person <laughs> like me. Like, yeah. I am a snarky journo with opinions. <laughs> like, it, that's who it's made for. Mm. Um, 
And so I have to kind of hold myself back several thousand times a day from replying mm -hmm. to people. But what I have started doing, which is a bit weird and, and maybe a bit awkward, is I just DM people yeah. if I think they're right and or wrong. And yeah. I sort of say, I'm sorry, I'm just sliding into your DMs. It's a bit weird. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I do that because... For me, it takes away the performative exactly, element. Exactly, People are very different in the DMs. They're very... Because it, <laughs> it, it is only just you and that person. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, and the relationship, like the, the context of what you're talking about happens then between you and the person in the DM exactly. rather than you and actually the audience over here. Exactly. So, so do you think it's more about the way that we use these yeah. mediums that count? I think so. I think if people... Because not everybody uses Twitter for, like, political discussion or social discussion, but... But if that is something that you see as a priority, I encourage maybe open up your DMs, you know, and, and have conversations with people because that's really how you're going to be able to have a certain type of vulnerability and to, to not have to perform or to say something funny, but to just ask questions. Because I think even when you, when you reply to people online, everyone is so aware that they're being watched. And so they, might, they may not even be offended, but they might, be try, they might pretend to be offended on other people's behalf. Right, right, you right. Yeah. So I think you know, the DMs kind of puts us all on an equal playing field. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about um, intent versus impact, mm. because I find when we're talking about wokeness, that's sort of at the crux of it. You know, you can have somebody who tells an off-colour joke or, you know, says something and then says, like, I didn't have the intention to hurt anyone. Yeah. And that person may be very genuine. Yeah, yeah. I, I tend to believe people mm -hmm. when they say, I didn't intend to hurt yeah. anyone. But somebody was offended. Yeah. Somebody was impacted. Mm. Um, who, who has done something right and who has done something wrong in that scenario? And actually, who is allowed to determine who's yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, that's a, I think that's a really tricky way to look at things. I mean, for me, and again, I can only ever speak and write from my experience, but I just try not to internalise other people's ignorance. Mm -hmm. You know, I really try my hardest to like... And if someone does say something that offends me potentially, and, and I try not to be offended by anyone I don't consider really intelligent. Um, otherwise, I'd be constantly offended. Yeah. You know, I would always be offended. So, like, you have to be a certain level of intellect. I love that. Be, I mean, we have to create our own rules. Otherwise, like, I mean, life is pretty offensive, to be fair. You know what I mean? I don't really want to pay bills. I'm offended by that notion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? yeah. But we have to do it. Um, so, for me, yeah, I just, I pick, I pick and choose my battles. I pick and choose my battles. And I know that we've all kind of been raised in different circumstances, different levels of education, different exposure to culture and arts and music. And I think all of those things really um, uh, play a part in, in who a person becomes. Um, and so I don't know. I just, if someone says they didn't mean it that way, and I can discern that from uh, the way that they came at me, the language that they used, and I'll believe them. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a bit too much work to go back and forth, you know? And I just think, what do we really achieve, you know? I think we just exert a lot of um, energy that's yeah. better spent elsewhere. You talked a little bit um, in the speech and also in the video about the difference between being reactionary and responsive. Yeah, yeah. What's the, what's the main difference there between the two? I guess it would be maybe something when we're discerning impact and intention. It's like we can... Sometimes we want to react because we are in this social climate where if we don't seem offended, then people think we're complicit. Right. You know? People think that if you're not actively saying this and that online, if you're not performing your, your anger, your outrage or your activism, then you're complicit. Um, and so for me, I think... Um, to not be reactionary is like when, you know, there's been loads of campaigns recently where like, 
I don't know, a, a big designer company will bring out um, uh, like a, a campaign that's maybe racist or maybe offensive to some degree about whatever it may be. Um, and it's just like considering first, like before, because I think we can all get swept away by everyone else's opinion. We see everyone else talking about it. And then we get this pressure like, oh my God, they're talking about it. Is everyone looking at me? I'm not saying anything. Right. Um, and then I think, and that's reactionary. I think that is reaction. Um, but I just wait. I wait and I really try to like let the, um, the online noise die down um, and then really see how I feel about things. And, and just, I may find something to be ridiculous or stupid, but I don't know why I have to take the internet to, to suggest that. I think it's much easier, or not even easier, a bit more powerful to just withdraw my complete attention from that company, you know, and my money too. Yeah. Do you think that we are too easily offended? Um, in the sense that life is very complex um, and there is a duality, there is negative and, and positivity and we only know how to appre appreciate positivity because there is negativity. And so I think it's something that we, um, yeah, we should, uh, we should get a bit more... Yes, I do think we are. Yes, <laughs> I do think we are. I do think we are becoming a bit too offended. Um, and I think there's a privilege in that. I think there's a real privilege in being able to be offended by everything because not everybody has that opportunity. You know, there are some places, you know, where, you know, speaking out, even on feminism, on anything, you know, can, can have you put in prison, can, can so many things can happen. Right. And so I think that, yeah, to be offended by everything is to, is to almost hand over your thinking and your feelings to someone else. Right, it's like you, you, you give them a certain yeah, power, certain over, power you. over you. And yeah. that's why I think we should choose at least who we're offended by. You know, like if it's a family member, makes sense. You know, they know you for a long time and yeah. stuff like that, or yeah. a partner, or people that you respect. But the average person, I mean, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I love this idea. It's like, no, you're not intelligent enough for me to be offended by. <laughs> and I think it's whatever you value, to be fair. I mean, so if it's like, you know, if you play football and like, you know, it's a really good football player who's critiqued you, you know what I mean? Then you might take that on board. Sure. But if it's someone that you don't really respect, like in that capacity, then why take it on? Yeah, exactly. And I think we're living in this time now that we've, we, we've, never, we've never lived in a time like this before yeah. where everyone has an opinion yeah, exactly. and everyone has a platform by which right. to voice that opinion. Mm -hmm. So I think you, you have to be a little bit more discerning yeah, about yeah. whose opinion it is that you actually let... Yeah, you have to, yeah, because yeah. it's like, and I think, you know, Twitter um, is very much like being able to walk down the street and hear everybody's thoughts, you know, like that is essentially what it is every time we scroll the timeline. Yeah. And so like, if we could in reality walk down the street and hear everybody's thoughts, like, I don't know if we'd be like, hey, 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 I don't, it just doesn't, yeah. It just well, it sounds sense. like a dystopic nightmare. Right. Is what it sounds like <laughs> to me. Right. Yeah. Um, you wrote a piece last year about cancel culture. Mm -hmm. You know, this idea that when somebody slips up or misbehaves, and look, sometimes it can be, you know, quite serious things that they're engaged mm. with. They're cancelled, you know, they're no more, they're done. Um, and, and you wrote, to insult someone who doesn't live your reality for failing to consider you is to oversimplify the human experience. Mm. Humiliating people for insensitive comments that they made years ago denies the possibility of change. Mm. So I, I wanted to ask you, is there a, a, a good or a right way to perhaps address something or someone mm. that you see to be um, wrong or misguided or offensive or...? I think if we know that person, then we can, we can call them up. I think we can DM them. I think we can have conversations with them. But I think when we... Um, 
I don't know, we do it with celebrities a lot. And, and maybe because I don't necessarily expect celebrities to do anything but entertain me, you know? I don't necessarily expect them to have, like, uh, I don't know, really a great critique on Palestine and, and, you know, I don't really expect that. I don't really expect them to be up to date on, I don't know, the hottest social issues of the time. Sure. Um, and I think what we do there is that we project our own ideals onto celebrities and onto the people that we admire. Um, but these people often have never claimed to be anything other than they are, you know? And, and what happens now, again, because I think if you're not seen to have an opinion, people call you complicit. And so we encourage um, people in the public eye who've never claimed to be political or social, we encourage them to have opinions on things that they don't know anything about, you know? And yeah. then... And then in, they inevitably slip up they because up. they don't... Exactly. They're, they're not very they're not invested. on that particular issue. And then we attack them. Um, and it just, again, it's just a cycle. And I think that rather than maybe trying to um, expect, I don't know, a, a great social critique from like Kanye West, like maybe we should maybe look to thinkers and, you know, people who have spent their lives dedicated to certain issues. <laughs> do you see any role for shame on the internet? What do you think about publicly shaming someone who has done something wrong on the internet? Mm. Um, I don't personally do that. Um, although, although I do actually sometimes think that shaming can have, I mean, at least when I think about myself, when I think about certain things that I'm ashamed, they sort of, they navigate, I mean, they teach me about how to navigate, you know, when I, shame is useful in kind of reminding us how to live, um, at least for my own self, but I've been taking it publicly to the internet to shame someone. I'm not sure. I think it might just be best a better way to kind of show that you are not invested in this person, that you don't agree, is to, is to stop talking about them, probably. Right. Yeah, I think that takes away, you know, because, I mean, for some people, all publicity is good publicity. And not everybody that we talk about, you know, really gets cancelled from, like, whatever profession that they are in. Um, but I think if we... Um, yeah, I think we should just remove our attention from a lot of these people that yeah. we we don't agree with, or companies, like, I think we should remove our money. I think that's a, you know... That well, speaks louder. Yeah, than way louder. Shaming someone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think with the element of shame as well, it's, it's to, for me, it's a question of to what end? Yeah, exactly. To what end are you shaming this person? Mm. If you want them to change, shame may not be the most effective way to no, get them to change. it doesn't. And so I often find that when people are shamed on the internet or, or the people doing the shaming, again, they're often doing it for an audience. Yeah, they are. Um, it's not really about the right. actual personal, the ends there. Right, because we have people in our family, surely, who've pissed us off or, or said things that we do not agree with, or maybe they're Trump supporters, or maybe they, or whatever, you know, but we don't go to the internet and be like, my dad did blah, 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 blah. You don't do that. You don't shame your dad on the internet. You don't shame your sister on the internet. Although my dad is here, <laughs> and I have shamed him on the okay well <laughs> sorry dad oh, <laughs> um let's talk a little bit about um identity because identity i think plays a, a very big role in in who is woke and who can be woke at what time um wh what do you think it is and why do you why do you see it as having some limitations um because uh, i think identity can make us run the risk of of essentializing identity and when i say that i mean like there is no one way to be a gay person or a lesbian person or a trans person, a black person, a white man, a white woman. Um, and I think when we cling to identity, it can be quite limiting in, in how we see ourselves. And also clinging to identity, and not to say that identity doesn't affect the way that we're treated. This mm. isn't to negate the fact that certain parts of our identity um, create for a different experience as we move through the world. But if we can only see things be through our identity... Um, 
it's just not very it doesn't it doesn't leave space for clarity i don't think i, I don't think you know because um yeah i just don't think it's a very um useful way of thinking about the world, I think, if you want to have a broader perspective on things. Yeah. Yeah, I think we need to momentarily divorce ourselves from that and think not necessarily as a man, as a woman, as a black person, as a white person, but just as a human, you know? I, I think that's what we need to do. Do you think it is possible to detach yourself from your identity? I, I, I speak to quite a lot of people in my line of work, obviously, and, and there'll be people who say, as I can't detach the political mm. from the personal. Mm, mm, mm. Do you think that you can do that in, in every circumstance or will there be people who just who simply can't detach? I mean, I, it depends on if it's a priority for you. I can't live personally. I can't, I can't live my life constantly offended. Mm. I think it's draining. I think it's exhausting. I think it's bad for your mental health. I think that's another conversation that's quite prominent at the moment, mental health. And so if we're considering our mental health, um, I think that we have, to, we have to put in our own sort of guidelines and rules for how we think about the world. Um, and so, yes, I do believe it's possible. I do I think when I'm thinking about a lot of issues, I'm not thinking even as a woman necessarily sometimes. Right. In order for me to kind of understand maybe how patriarchy can be also limiting to men, you know, I can't necessarily think about me as the sole oppressed woman, you know? I just have to think about me as a human being in that context and, and then I can clearly see, oh, actually, this stuff isn't so good for you guys either, you know? And, and, and yeah. then that, that seems to be a lot more helpful, you know? I don't necessarily deal with good and bad, but what's helpful and unhelpful, and that seems to be helpful for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to let all of you know that we will be doing a Q&A in about three minutes. So if there is anybody that has um, a question for Aisha, please do make your way over to those. I, I don't know if you can see them in the down lights, but there's two microphones. One is there and one is mm. there. If you'd like to ask a question, I'd encourage you to make your way over now. Um, you said something really interesting in, in, in the speech that you just gave, this idea that suffering doesn't make you morally superior. Yeah. Can you, t can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think, you know, and that suffering can be anything. That suffering can be maybe about our weight. That suffering can be about our sexuality. That suffering can be about the fact that we have a different diet. I mean, on the internet now, anything is cause for suffering. Um, and... It just, and I think once we attach ourselves to these sufferings, we think we have a more of a license to say certain things, to be offended, to, to call someone out. And it's just like, no, I don't think so. Um, the entire globe is suffering. Um, and I think that it's... What, what gives you the right to call someone out? I don't know. I, I, for me, again, it's like, I don't do this thing. I don't even know why I need to call someone out. I just stop entertaining it right. in every capacity. Um, in every way, and I think as activists or as people who are interested in social progression or change, like our money is our biggest weapon. Um, and I really just think about the usefulness of things. As I, you know, and even maybe in that yeah. sense, I divorce my emotions from my reasoning. You know, because again, if I live in my emotions, uh, and not to say that emotions aren't important, of course they are, but if I can only see things through my emotions, then. I just don't, from what I see and observe when I see people doing these things on the internet, I, I, don't, see, um, I don't see much progress. Yeah. Mm. We'll take um, a couple of questions. We'll start with number one over here. Hi. Sorry, we might just get you to um, start that question again. That's Hopefully, okay. the mic, oh. there we go, the mics are working. Yeah. Hi. Um, as a result of cancel culture, I feel like a lot of the time, people get praised or labelled as being woke 
for just simply recognising someone's humanity or just having an opinion that's positive. And then that then becomes a mechanism for them to kind of separate themselves for people who might not be as progressive or from learning further. They often say, oh, well, I'm woke, so I'm not that person that, you know, I'm not the person with these beliefs that are potentially problematic. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm just wondering, you know, in an age where we're either quick to cancel people or quick to praise them, mm-hmm. how would you suggest kind of navigating those relationships where people have used being woke as an excuse to stop actually further learning? Yeah, I, I think this is when we start believing that good opinions make good people. Um, and that's just not true. What you do and how you act, and especially how you act with people who you disagree with. I think that says everything. I think when you're interacting in the world, because we're going to come across that in every uh, sphere. It's in our families. It's in different places that we go. It's everywhere. And if we can't manage it on the internet... Um, I don't know, to me it's not woke. I think if you're, if you're constantly, if your activism is, is rooted in condemning everyone. Um, yeah, I, I don't see that as a form of progress. Um, sorry, I don't know if I'm answering your question. Um, tell me again, sorry, the last part. <laughs> I guess I was saying a lot of people think um, because I've been called woke or yeah. because I consider myself woke, I no longer need to understand oh, yeah. who oh. do work. No, no, that's ridiculous. I think, um, yeah, no, I think the work is ongoing. I think it's a lifelong lesson. I think there's never, I mean, you can never know everything and you can never know too much. Um, and I think we have to start to understand the people that we, we disagree with as well. I think if we, if we stop learning because we think we... Um, we know it all. I, I don't know. I think that's a really, um, a really limiting and arrogant um, way to approach progress. Yeah. Anyone who thinks they know everything is a fucking idiot. Right. <laughs> right. That's mm. true. Mm. Mm. Um, number two. Hi. Um, Hi. I was. I first of all really value um, your opinions on this, and I wanted to ask how you think we can focus on understanding and empathy without relying on the, educate, the emotional labour of minorities to educate too much, how mm. the balance between that? Cool. Well, I think in that sense, then, you know, then fair enough, we do have a lot of resources that are available to us. And so, and again, I think divorcing ourselves from our identity in the sense of, okay, just because I may be a white woman or a Chinese woman doesn't mean that I only have to read literature in that space. You know, I think we should encourage ourselves to, you know, because the, we have the world's information in our pocket. Like, literally, we have the world's information in our pocket. And so, you know, explore, like, film and TV and, and books, like, and, and really get to read other people's um, experiences through the world. I think that is how we start to understand and empathise with other people. Um, and I think we could also do a lot more self-interrogation, like whenever, if there's ever been a time that we've had a really negative or maybe even a prejudiced opinion about something, I think it's maybe really inquiring like, where that came from, you know, without necessarily judging yourself for it, because I think we all can, you know, have those things at different points. But I think it's to really question and understand where those things came from, and then it will make you less hesitant, you know, to judge other people and things like that. But, yeah, I think um, using the resources that are available to us, um, I think, will help us develop empathy and compassion for other people. Thank you. Mm. Um, I agree with everything you said about you can't combat stupidity online Mm -hmm. and the best way to deal with it is to either privately educate or, you know, DM it and take it offline because online arguments can't be won. 
But on a larger scale, how do you combat that kind of stupidity? If you because you can't educate everyone individually, mm-hmm. what's the way of doing it? Because there's just so much mm. online stupidity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there is. But then I don't necessarily know if it's my job or anyone's job to educate everybody. But I think we can put this in whatever our practices are, whatever our craft is. So I write. I'm a stylist as well, and the things that I I see to be a problematic or an issue. I, I try to write about those things. Or if I think that you know maybe the modeling industry only focuses on one type of person, then I try to, in my shoots, put the different types of people in them of different races, of different body types, and things like that. I think that we can start to educate people, not necessarily directly, but by what we put out into the world. You know, like adding to the pot of of content that's out there and art that's out there. I think that's how we do it. But I don't think we should ever think it's our job to try and educate anyone, everyone. You know, and for me, like, I try not to... I don't spend my time, like, arguing with anyone who's committed to misunderstanding me because some people are committed to ignorance. You know, that's, that's, that's it. Um, and in that sense, yeah, I... You know, I think we, we, we work with the people who, who do want to learn. We work with the people who are open-minded and who, who can consider different perspectives. Yeah. Number two. Thank you. Um, sort of similar, but a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I haven't re- um, listened to your um, online uh, video yet, but I will. Um, I'm sure you've experienced, well, you've talked about experiencing outrage. Mm. For me, the outrage has driven, you know, me to be strong, to try to be a voice for the issues that I've experienced. Mm. And I get, I totally get and I respect that you're moving from the outrage to compassion. Mm. Um, but do, you, do you still feel that there's an important role for accessing that outrage. Oh, my God. Completely. I'm enraged every day. Um, But it's just about how I channel that rage now, you know? Like, and I try to channel that rage as opposed to arguing with someone, as opposed to demeaning someone. I try to channel it into writing. I try to channel it into tweets sometimes. I try to channel it into being dedicated to understand why someone could have this level of ignorance. Um, And I'm very curious by nature. And, you know, I'm more interested in the why than the what. And I think when we become interested in why things are happening as opposed to what is happening, um, we lessen a lot of outrage and, and we can just approach topics um, wiser. But no, I think, I think outrage is a very necessary tool to, to get up, you know, to, to start thinking about things, to start becoming curious. If, if it wasn't for outrage, I wouldn't have been able to come to any of this. Yeah. Do, do you sort of see anger as n- not so much being the end, but rather being a means to an yeah, end? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a means to an end, definitely. Um, yeah, completely, it's a means to an end. I don't think it's the, you know, I think I said it in the, in the talk, you know, it's a starter, but it's not the whole dish. Yeah. yeah. Number one. Uh, hi. <laughs> um, I'm listening to what you're saying about the world being a choice and access to information being a choice and also sort of mediating that outrage. And I agree mostly kind of with the general vibe of what you're saying, but I guess where I get lost is, hang on, where is the outrage that means I can still get taken off the street and strapped down if I express my anger 
in a way that's deemed inappropriate. Mm. It's like somewhere in all of this discussion, which on a good day I'm happy to join in with. Mm. Um, Are you having a good day? I'm having a good day. <laughs> okay. But even on a good day, mm. you know, a security guard didn't want to let me in. Mm. You know, like, so I'm talking about, you know, uh, trying to get on a train, mm. not being let in, triggered, on the ground crying, and 50 or so people walk by, mm. some yelling abuse. Mm. Like, it's like, yeah, that's their experience. Mm. And I'm sure they're great people on a good day. <laughs> but that really terrible traumatic thing happening to me mm. seems to get lost in this kind of ableist discussion, mm. and I'm just wondering how do, we, how do we keep the individual and the outrage for the individual who is actually, at this moment, unable to access safe hospitalisation when unwell, mm -hmm. you know, not able to access uh, information, um, and dealing with discrimination, abuse and neglect mm. on a daily basis. Mm. And I mean, kind of that's me, but I'm here, so I am so privileged compared to my peers who, you know, wouldn't know how to get to Sydney mm -hmm. yeah. and certainly don't have their beautiful, you know, companion with them to do that, yeah. So, it's a, so is your question sort of how do, we, how do we maintain that righteous anger that has a very legitimate place in society? It, righteous is the wrong word. It's like I feel, I agree that, you know, discomfort is where, you know, change occurs. Mm. My life is discomfort and I feel like so often people like me are asked to sacrifice our discomfort so this kind of wonderful discussion can mm. occur, but it's like, dude, I was still, you know, illegally restrained and 17 people walked by and did nothing? Mm, like, mm. how is that possible? Because I can take part in discussion. Mm. I just live in a different world than people who have the money to mm. walk away from a business. Like, mm. yeah. Um, I think, you know, I was... Uh, a big question. Um, I think um, in terms of, okay, people are walking by and they're not necessarily acknowledging you, is what you're saying. They're not necessarily acknowledging the complexity of your existence and, and the pain that you're going through. But there are some people that will. There are some people that feel exactly the same way that you do. And we can't necessarily change other people is something that I've learned, but I can change the way that I feel about other people. All I, all I have is myself and all we do have as people, all we have is ourselves. And there is always going to be someone that I think feels the exact same way that you do, um, that you can organise with and you can maybe address these things in the same way that like, someone found it important enough to start Black Lives Matter. But you know, before that, police brutality was going on unrecorded and no one thought about it. But so it may be... You know, we can't necessarily change other people, but you can bring awareness to that. You know, that's something that I'm thinking about now. So, you know, maybe I don't know if it's something, if it's writing, I don't know what it is, but I think that, I don't know, I don't know if we can... Um, I mean, I think that outrage is important. I think you should be outraged at the fact that, like, disability issues are not taken seriously enough or that you can feel invisible. I think that's important. Um, but we can't make everybody um, recognise that importance if... If people, you know, if, if you're not sharing that story, you know, if you're not putting that out there. Um, but I think your outrage is, is perfectly valid. Um, but I just, it's about where it's going to go. 
No? Yeah, yeah, and I think I think I guess I just think that people like me are telling the story. Yeah, okay. But they're not being accepted because they don't fit that. Oh, I see. That, that, that trendy view. thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I get that, and I think that's. I think yeah. I think those things are annoying myself, and it's something I tried to, and I don't know if we caught it. It's something I tried to address in the talk. That's like, you know, we only leave space for very. Um, uh, buzzwordy, uh, or not even buzzwordy, but let's say we only leave space for very popular um, discussions, but everything else, because there is so much injustice in the world, there are so many things happening that no one is talking about. Absolutely no one is talking about. And so I do definitely see that as a problem, and I think that's why... Um, we need to push back against this thing that's happening online of you can't say this and you can't say that. If this is important to you, like regardless of what anybody else says, because that's what I do, regardless of what anybody says, I'm going to say what I'm saying. So I think you just, um, I don't think anything happens overnight, but I think you keep at it and you find as many people who feel the same way that you do, that you can organise with together and, and you make us listen. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, number two. Hi. Um, I guess a lot of the things that happen on the internet kind of get reduced to individuals arguing or who's right and who's wrong. Mm -hmm. um, in your experience, how, like, what would you advise to move beyond like individual opinions towards, as you were sort of talking just then, organising and, and um, collective activism to actually work towards like structural change and policy change and that sort of thing? Yeah, by... Um by finding people, you know, like I said, I, I have my DMs open and that means like at any point, like anybody can message me and we can have discussion. And I've met so many people who are so unlikely, people that I never would have thought would be my friends or people that I would meet up with. Um, and they have become and they've become really great um, people to organize with and to think with. And so I think um, it's about, you know, because at some point, one thing that we're not doing is all of this stuff exists mainly online. A lot of us are not organising outside of um, these spaces. And I think maybe we can start to push back on this idea that, like, you know, about being woke online. You know, what is it that we're actually doing in physical spaces? Um, and so I would, I, would, I would encourage you to... Um, to, to reach out to the people, and I, I'm not sure if everyone is open all the time and, and, and wanting to, but whether that's even starting with a Facebook group first, but I think meetups are really, really important. In London, um, there's a group that I organise with, um, uh, a group of like creatives of colour, and we organise and talk about things that affect us, and we pass jobs to each other, and things that are, you know, as the system isn't necessarily set up to necessarily favour um, always people of colour, we kind of create that network for ourselves. So whatever it is that's important to you, like I know that anything that one person thinks is important, there's always going to be thousands of other people that do. And I think, you know, whether it starts by a Facebook group or a WhatsApp group, I think that's how our group started. It was a WhatsApp group that's now turned into like, I don't know, maybe two, three hundred people. Um, and Holy hell. <laughs> right, right. That's but we meet up, though. We meet That's up. That's a lot of notifications. I know, you, know, know just mute, you just mute them. You just mute them. Um, you just mute them unless you have something to say. Um, <laughs> but then, yeah, yeah. But we do meet up. We meet up once a month, and it's great. Um, and I think, you know, it starts small, you know. It does start small, and we can't necessarily expect that these things are going to happen overnight. But there are people who are dedicated and who really are, are looking for this because I think the, the video only did well because clearly people want to organise out of the internet. 
Yeah. And I think as well, that, that sort of kind of connection that you b build with somebody online, I think it's really important to maybe see that as a bit of a means to an end as well. And the end being that kind of tangible thing that, okay, mm. what do I do right. with this? Where right. do I go? Yeah, and yeah. bringing it back, you know, into real life, I think, can be, can be quite powerful. Yeah, no, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have time for just one more question. So I'll go over here to microphone number one. Hi, um, Hi, I'm finding I work in the music industry, so there's a lot of um, discussions about, um, you know, sexual harassment and cancel culture. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding that out of the, there's a few people that are really woke and are fighting the good fight, yeah. but it's getting to a stage where it's so aggressive that they're fighting not only the people that they're trying to bring down, but anyone that isn't speaking out, like, as you said, because yeah. they're complicit if they're not performing for everyone. <laughs> and I just want to know what your opinion is on how to reach out to these people and let them know that we are allies, but mm. just because I am not as outraged as they are, mm. it doesn't mean that I'm still not upset about these issues. I kind of, I get to the stage where I'm so terrified of them because I know I'm just going to fight an unwinnable fight against them. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering how you might reach out to them. Well, I always, I, I think the whole complicit argument uh, is a weak one for me in the sense that, you know, the same people, let's say, who are really fighting for, let's say, um, against sexual abuse, in which I completely understand, and, and I'm part of that as well. Um, but I would not say that someone who is not vocal about these issues is complicit. And if that's the case, what about everything that I'm not vocal on? Does that mean I'm complicit in, you know, the, um, you know, starving children? You know, does that mean I'm complicit in, you know, the things that are happening in the Middle East because I'm not necessarily looking into them? You know, like, we can't just... Yeah, I think it's a very, um, it's... It just doesn't hold water, you know? And I think we need to be able to remind people that, like, everybody has a different way of communicating. And, and not everybody wants public attention for their opinions. Not everybody wants to um, have to debate with people that they don't know. Some people would rather talk to people in their own safe spaces, in their own communities and things like that. And I think that has a lot more to be said. Um, because on the internet, most people find themselves just arguing back and forward. But I think if you were to go to those people and say, well... I do care, um, and this is what works for me. In the same way that I'm not condemning you, because there was a lot of people who would condemn those people who were outraged and say that actually you're creating more division, you're creating more tension. And if you're not saying that to them, I don't think anyone has the right to judge you. Yeah. And I, I also think that there are probably, a, and this is totally anecdotal, but um, I think that there's a, a growing number of people who are like you, mm. who, you know, are outraged about something, but also have a discomfort with, I think, the performative element right. that comes with existing and speaking about these sort of things online. And so I think connecting with those people, I think, is going to help because you kind of, you, you, you grow that particular space and you start attracting more people to that particular space. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a face-off between the super wokes and the mildly wokes, you know, it doesn't, that's, it, it, it doesn't have to be like that. But I think, I think people are complex and you yeah. can be outraged about something and not want to necessarily take part in um, you know, a perform performative element of expressing that outrage. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's very valid. And, and being open about that is going to, I think, attract more people to that position. Yeah. What she said. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, well, thank you so much to all of you for being here with us this afternoon. And an extremely big thank you to Aisha Akambi for...